The enemy of my enemy is my friend. This is an old saying. It's most likely as old as fallen humanity itself. The term is used to describe people, political parties, entire nations that are hostile and distrustful of each other, but they are forced to, to form an alliance to fight a common threat. Now, now the concept began expressed in many different ways. During World War II, for example, Sir Winston Churchill said, if Hitler invaded hell, I would make at least a favorable reference to the devil in the House of Commons. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, aptly describes what is presented in today's gospel. Now, a bit of helpful background information. Three weeks ago, I said that the Pharisees demanded Jesus to explain why he purged the temple of merchants and animals. Now, Jesus was willing to comply if they first answered his question, why didn't you believe John the Baptist? In their hardness of heart, they refused to respond. And then Jesus told them that tax collectors and prostitutes would enter the kingdom of God before them, because at least the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed in John and repented. Whereas the Pharisees, the religious elites, who should have known who Jesus was, what Jesus meant, what Jesus was doing, did not repent. And this infuriated the Pharisees. The gospel reading two weeks ago showed Jesus telling the Pharisees a parable in which the owner of a vineyard, God, would send his own son, Jesus, to the tenants the Pharisees. Instead of showing respect for the son, they rose up and killed him, insanely thinking that somehow they had a right to inherit the son's inheritance, Israel. And Jesus told them, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruits of it. And this stunned them to the core. And last week, to emphasize the removal of the Pharisees from their place of privilege, Jesus told them a parable about a king, God, giving a wedding feast, the perpetual celebration of the kingdom of God, in which the invited, the Pharisees, made all kinds of excuses not to attend. In fury, the king burned down their city, a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem and invited those who were on, quote, the main roads and streets, meaning the unredeemed, the unwashed, the unsaved, the deplorables of that era. And the Pharisees had to have been seething with anger by that point. Today's gospel shows the frustrated Pharisees forming an alliance with another religious political faction of Judaism of that time, the Herodians. The two groups had severe theological, doctrinal, and political differences that were irreconcilable. They detested each other, and yet both understood that Jesus was an unacceptable threat to the authority that each had among the 
Jewish people to their status and to the authority of the temple. Jesus had to be neutralized at any cost, which in this case meant they had to work together. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And they hatched a scheme to get Jesus to destroy himself. First they buttered him up with all this false flattery. And then they made their fatal blunder. They asked for his opinion. Pay attention to that little detail. It's absolutely vital. They asked, is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? He who has always been, is now, and ever shall be one in being with the Father, does not give an opinion as you and I give opinions. No, he gives the truth because he is the truth of God in human flesh. He cannot but speak the truth because that is his divine nature. And he shows his divine nature in two ways. First, he reveals that he knows their thoughts when the text tells us, knowing their malice. Jesus, because he is God, knew what was in their hearts, just as he knows what's in our hearts right now, this very moment. Second, he reduced them to silence when he publicly revealed their interior malice by asking them in public, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? <laughs> what could they possibly say? Now, their goal was simple. If Jesus said, oh yeah, go ahead, pay the tax, he would have been branded a collaborator with the Romans and re be rejected by the people. If he said, no, don't pay the tax, he would be branded a revolutionary by the Romans and swiftly dealt with. Either way, Jesus would be finished and the Pharisees and the Herodians could breathe a collective sigh of relief. Jesus' goal was also simple. He wanted their conversion of heart. Just as he wants our conversion of heart this morning, tomorrow, and every day of our lives. Jesus' answer, the answer of God in the flesh, was then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. And it reduced them to silence. Why? There are not two separate domains of human existence, the political and the spiritual, as some even today insist. No. God is the creator of all things, including Caesar. Therefore, our first duty as disciples of Jesus, whatever nation we live in, is to serve the Lord with all our mind, with all our heart, with all our strength, and with all our soul, which means to live and work in any given political order in such a way that the dignity of human life is upheld as inviolate, 
having infinite worth from conception to death, making a rightful demand on all governments to protect human life in its most vulnerable stages. Why? The image of God is found only in human beings, not in beluga whales, not in dogs, not in kitty cats, not in horses, only in human beings. And unless the disciples of Jesus bring this fundamental, essential, primordial truth into the political arena, no human being can be safe in any political order the mind of man establishes. He or she will become a slave of that political order. The believer must always be a good citizen of whatever nation he or she lives in, but one cannot properly do so if one forgets that one is first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of God. All earthly political systems are destined for annihilation. Only the kingdom of God will stand and those who serve in it. <laughs>